Turn with me tonight in your Bible to John's Gospel, um, chapter 14. Uh, And I want to read just a, a short portion here. John chapter 14. Let's hear the word of the Lord. And let's remember that these words were given to the disciples by the Lord Jesus in the upper room just before his death. John chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him, and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father. And it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do. Because I go unto my Father And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name That will I do That the Father may be glorified in the Son If ye shall ask anything in my name I will do it Amen We'll end the reading there at verse 14 And we pray God will stamp with his own approval and blessing This reading of the Holy Scriptures Now my text tonight is taken from John chapter 14 and the verse 2 And my theme this evening is a lovely glimpse of the glory of heaven Listen to these words In my father's house are many mansions If it were not so I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you We're going to think tonight of having a vision of heaven and the impact that it ought to have and does have upon our hearts and minds. In Cornwall, years ago, there was a man called Billy Bray. 
He was a wild, rough, ungodly man. He didn't love the Lord, nor the gospel of Christ. He had no time for the things of God. He lived a wild, sinful life. And in marvelous grace, the Lord wonderfully used a book that had a profound impact upon Billy Bray's heart and life. And that book was penned by the Reverend John Bunyan. And that book was entitled, A Vision of Heaven and Hell. Now, that's not the only book that John Bunyan wrote. We're familiar with Pilgrim's Progress, The Holy War. He also had a three-volume set full of expositions of the Holy Scriptures. And one of those expositions was called The, the Groans and Sighs of the Damned. Well, Billy Bear read this book, A Vision of Heaven and Hell, and God spoke to him. God convicted him out of that book. It impacted, as I've said, on his heart and mind. He began to think of his ungodly lifestyle, how it impacted on him and his family and his neighbours all around him. And you see, one of the things in the book that struck Billy Bray was this, that one of the torments of hell is that your so-called friends on earth will become your enemies in hell because of your lifestyle and because of your influence that caused them to choose a life of sin. Billy Bray was greatly troubled at that. And he read the visions of hell. And then he read the vision of heaven. And one such text struck his mind was John 14, verse 2. He thought of the Lord Jesus in the upper room. Attempting to comfort his disciples. Remember, he's just told them that he's going away. He's going to leave them. He's going to die a horrible death of crucifixion the next day on the cross. And one way that he sought to comfort his disciples was to give them a glimpse of the glory of heaven. Now let me ask you tonight, how often do you think of heaven? Does heaven fill your heart and mind at all? Have you got a, a scriptural vision of the glory land in your understanding? Isn't it true that many of us are so caught up with the world Caught up with the things of time and sense, caught up with making money, caught up with education, caught up with social status, the possession of things, even health. And we fail to focus and meditate in particular on the world to come. Now, now, now is that true of you tonight? Maybe you're here this evening and your heart's breaking and you need comfort and you're facing trials that you alone know and you've got troubles. Traumas come into your life, your tribulation is real, and you've got heartache, and you've got pain, whether it's bodily or mental. I want you to remember this, that life's a journey, and we're only here for a little time. And as we live out our life, we live, what, with the certainty of death and the reality of eternity. And in life's journey, we've discovered, according to the scriptures, that there's a hell to shun. But glory to God, there's a heaven to gain. And I just want to ask tonight on life's journey, despite your trials, your trauma, your, your tears, do you know anything of the certainty and the glory of heaven? Listen to the Lord Jesus. Now remember, he's comforting his disciples. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God. Believe also in me. Why? Because he's God incarnate. In my Father's house. Here he is calling God his Father, our many mansions. If it were not so, 
I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. And where I am, there you may be also. Now, I have four simple truths tonight from this text of Scripture. I want you to think, first of all, of the reality of heaven. In my Father's house are many mansions. Heaven tonight's a real place. I believe it's a literal, actual place. It's not a story that's made up for the children. It's not the stuff of imagination. It's not make-believe. It's not a fable. It's not a fallacy. Young people, it's not a fairy story. You've maybe read of C.S. Lewis and the land of Narnia, the uh, lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. You've maybe read the story of Peter Pan, Never Never Land. Do you know that Never Never Land is a wonderful, beautiful place? But it doesn't exist. It's like the land of Narnia. It exists in the writer's imagination or in the reader's imagination. But there's no such place. It's, it's made up. It's, it's make-believe. But heaven's not like that. Heaven does exist. And here the Lord Jesus, he calls it my father's house. It's a true, real place. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. You've heard the cliche, heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. It's not a state. It's not a condition. It's not just a nice experience to mentally comfort you. It's a real place. Could I tell you that heaven is more real than even this world? Do you know this world's temporal, isn't it? This world's passing away. This world's subject to change. Don't we live in a changing world? Aren't we getting older every day? Turn over there to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let me read two verses to you, verses 17 and 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. And here's the Apostle Paul, and he's saying this to the Corinthian church. He's telling them this, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal. And the things which are not seen are eternal. You see, we're to contrast in our mind things that are temporal. That is, things that are not permanent. Things that have a limited period. Things that are subject to change. Things that are only here for a while. And then we're to contrast things that are temporal with things that are eternal. And he tells us the things that are eternal are the things that are unseen. And that means that they're not subject to change. Isn't God eternal? Don't we believe in the eternality of God? The psalmist said, quoting a prayer of Moses, Psalm 90 and verse 2, from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. God's throne is eternal. God's son is eternal. The angels are eternal. The abode of God is eternal. God's grace, love, and mercy is eternal. You see, when we talk about the reality of heaven, I know that some in church, maybe even some of the young people are sitting, but, but I don't believe a word of it. 
Maybe they're thinking, but nobody ever come back from the dead to tell us. I know it would be wonderful if somebody did, if somebody came into church some Sunday evening and said, I was dead and now I'm alive. I would believe. Maybe you're thinking like that. I want to tell you tonight, you wouldn't believe. How do I know that you wouldn't believe? Turn in your Bible there to Luke chapter 16. Remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And remember the rich man who died and was buried. And the Bible tells us in hell, lift up his eyes, being in torments. And remember his request to Father Abraham. Remember he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come unto this place of torment. Luke 16, verse 29. Listen to what Abraham said. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. See, this man didn't repent. That's why he was in hell. Notice Abraham's reply. Verse 31, Luke 16. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. You see, Lazarus was not allowed to return to this earth. There was to be no communication with the dead. Why? If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they persuade it, though one rise from the dead. Now I'm well aware there are exceptions to the rule. Remember Saul went to the witch at Endor and the real Samuel appeared to the astonishment of the witch. And when Samuel spoke to Saul, what did he say? He only confirmed what God had already said. There was not one thing added. And you see, Abraham told the rich man, if they don't believe the Bible, if they don't believe what Moses has said and the prophets have said, if they don't believe the Holy Scriptures, they'll not believe if one went back from the dead. Now, there was a man come back from the dead. His name was also Lazarus. You can read about this in John 11. Remember the Lord Jesus stood outside Lazarus's tomb and called Lazarus come forth. And he that was bound came forth and he said, loose him and let him go. But when Lazarus was resurrected, there was many did not want to listen to him. They didn't want to hear the truth that they needed to repent and believe the gospel. And, and you see, God has given us the Bible, B-I-B-L-E, be instructed before leaving earth. And the Bible really is a revelation of God himself in the person and work of his son, Jesus Christ. And what do the scriptures principally teach? What man is to believe concerning God and what duty does God require of him? And what duty does God require? Repent ye and believe the gospel. And here's the Lord Jesus, and he's comforting his disciples in the upper room. And he's encouraging them by drawing back the veil and giving them a little glimpse into heaven. And what's the first thing that he brings to their attention? In my Father's house. It's a real place. Let me ask tonight, 
Are you going to heaven? Have you got that sure and certainty and that assurance in your heart that you're among those prepared people going to this prepared place? That's the first thing. And if we look at our text again, we see something else. It's not only the reality of heaven, but I want you to think of the locality of heaven. In my Father's house are many mansions. Where is heaven? Well, according to the Bible, there's more than one heaven. Did you know that the Bible, young people, talks about the aerial heavens? That's the place where the birds fly. You can see the clouds. Some days the sky is blue. Other days it is grey and dark and foreboding. That's what we call the aerial heavens. And then, of course, we could talk about the astrological heavens. That's where the stars are. The planets are. That's our galaxy. And, of course, there's billions of stars in the galaxy. And there's billions of galaxies in the universe. And and God made them all. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But then there's the actual heaven. So when the Bible talks about heaven, we've got to think about the context. Because the context is very important. And here's the Lord Jesus, and he says, in my Father's house. So the Father's house is the place of God's abode. The place where God lives. Now turn over in your Bible there to Second Corinthians, and this time go to chapter 12. It's good to turn up the place. Second Corinthians chapter 12. And in verse 2, the Apostle Paul says this, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth, such an one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise, and heard unspeakable words which is not lawful for a man to utter. Here's a man that was given a vision and a revelation of God. He's caught up to the third heaven, the place where God lives, and he's shown unspeakable things. And you see, the third heaven is God's dwelling place. Remember what we read in the book of Revelation? In Revelation chapter 21, verse 2, And I, John, saw the holy city. New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Notice the words, cometh down from God out of heaven. Remember in Acts chapter 1 verse 11 when the Lord Jesus, the time came for him to ascend. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 1 verse 11, this same Jesus that was taken up from you into heaven. 
In Acts 7, 55, when Stephen was preaching, we're told as they stoned him, that he looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God. Where is heaven? Heaven is up. It's a way beyond the aerial heaven. It's a way beyond the astrological heaven. It's, it's an actual place called the third heaven. So it's a way beyond the starry sky. And what is the opposite of up, young people? Well, it's down. And where's hell? Well, it's down in the bowels of the earth. Remember in Korah's rebellion, who is on the Lord's side? God opened the ground. Hundreds went alive into the pit. You see, there's two alternatives. There's a going up to heaven, and there's a going down into hell. A place of eternal darkness. A place where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. A place of eternal punishment. So when you think about the Father's house, not only think about the reality of heaven, but think about the locality of heaven. I want you to think of a third thing. The majesty of heaven. Look at, look at our text. Now look at it very carefully. What does it say? In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Look at this word, mansions. Now, modern versions translate the word mansions as rooms. The Greek word is mone from which we get the English word manor, M-O-N-A-Y, and they translate it as rooms. I looked up this afternoon five versions, King James Bible has mansions. The American Standard Version has mansions. The NIV that I call the not inspired version has my father's house has many rooms. The English Standard Version has, in my Father's house are many rooms. The Good News Bible for modern man has, there are many rooms in my Father's house. And a real perversion of the Scripture, a book, it's not even a Bible, it's a book called The Message by a guy called Eugene Patterson. This is how he translates it. There's plenty of room in my Father's house. Now, I want you to think tonight. We're thinking about the majesty of heaven. Is it mansions or rooms? You see, a mansion is an extravagant, detached dwelling. The word is money, from which we get the English word manor. Contrast that with a room. A, a, a room is a, is a modest space within a dwelling. A, a room inside a building. Now, if we think of Revelation 21, verses 1 to 4, part of which I've read, and we thought about the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven as a bride adorned for her husband, think of a whole city, a city that's four square, a city whose builder and maker is God. And inside a city, a city consists of many residences. And each resident in the holy city is an extravagant place. You've got to think of the, the, the magnificence and, and character of the city. And this word, mansions. See, it speaks of the saints' home. 
And the mansions tell the saint that your every want is being supplied. And all you need is being catered for. It's the place of absolute contentment. The place of fulfillment and enjoyment. And you know what I thought tonight? It's a serious thing to tamper with the word of God. Listen to what Moses says in Deuteronomy. Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you. Neither shall ye diminish aught from it. That ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God. Which I command you. And over there in the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5, every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. And in the last book of the Bible, three times, here's the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 22. And what do we read there? Well, we read this. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life, and out of the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. We're not to add to or take away the words of the book. And I put it to you tonight that it's a serious thing to tamper with the word of God. Isn't it a serious thing to tamper with a ball in the sport called cricket? Isn't it a serious thing to tamper with evidence in a court case? Well, surely this is more serious. And here's a thought for us tonight. Do we believe that the Bible word ought to be mansions? Or do we believe those modern translations that replace the word mansion with rooms? Is it correct to do that? And I want to say tonight, quite categorically, I believe that it's not. I believe that it's a serious tampering with the word of God. And does it matter? Yes. Why? Because every word of God is pure. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, instruction in righteousness. And see, it calls into question the integrity of Christ. Is the words of Christ not the words of a gentleman? Did he not say here, if not so, I would have told you? Is the word of Christ true? Is it a pure word? If he meant rooms, why didn't he say rooms? The word is money, meaning from which we get the English word manor. Who's behind the change? It's those involved in the charismatic movement, the ecumenical movement. It's the liberals. It's the modernists. It's the neo-evangelicals. And I ask tonight, who do you trust? We ought to translate the word in the context. In my father's house, in the place where my father dwells, there's many mansions. But it's not only questioning the entirety of Christ, it's Questioning the speciality of Christ. If I go, I go to prepare a place for you. What sort of place? I don't believe the Lord Jesus is in heaven doing up a room. He's building a mansion. 
Something special, majestic, something beautiful. If he built the universe in six days, remember he created the universe in six days. He controls the universe. By him all things consist and are held together. If he's in heaven, what's he doing? He's involved in building the holy city. 2,000 years. Turn over there to a text of scripture. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, verses 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. Remember this text, underline it. It's a great text of scripture. It's a quotation from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 64. Listen to this in verse 9. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for them that love him. But God revealed them unto us by his spirit. Isn't that tremendous? He's quoting from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 64. And what's he preparing? It's something that's going to blow your mind. Something that's going to take your breath away. Remember when the Queen of Sheba came to Solomon? What does he say? The half of it hasn't been told. She couldn't take it in. She was filled with awe and inspiration because of the beauty and the majesty. And of all things that are built, all things are of God. Well, surely God in Christ is the capability of making mansions for his people. There's only one reference to the word mansions in the Bible. Here it is. He says many mansions. That, that's a multitude. Certainly more than two. You think of the holy city tonight. If we were to travel to Beverly Hills, Beverly Hills full of mansions. A place of many residences. And in heaven there's room for everyone who trusts Christ, who repents and believes the gospel. One final thing. Think of the eternality of heaven. We've thought about the reality of heaven. We've thought about the locality. It's the third heaven, the place where God dwells. We've thought about the majesty of heaven. Many mansions. Think about the eternality of heaven. He says... Here in our text. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Think of enjoying the blessing and bliss of eternal life. Maybe you're here tonight and you're facing the struggles of life. Paul talked about there in 2 Corinthians 4, 14. Your light affliction. But I want you to see your struggles in life in light of eternity. You're here, you've got trials and troubles and trauma now. Remember Paul writing to the Hebrews who were being persecuted for their belief in the person and work of Christ. Here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come, a heavenly city. Is this not comfort? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Forever. We're not here forever. We're all subject to change. One day we'll die. One day our life will end. And when our life ends, our struggles will cease. The Bible teaches we all do fade as a leaf. Our life will come to an end as we know it. And here's the question. Will I see you there? Will you meet me in heaven? I remember meeting the late uh, Alma McAllister in Port Stewart many, many years ago. She was a missionary to the Belgian Congo. She's now in the glory. Her um, husband Bob, I believe, is still living and maybe attends our Armagh congregation uh, a few times. 
And her mother died when she was a teenager. Did you know that? And when the mother was dying, she got the family, including Alma, around the bed. And she pleaded with them. And she said, children, I want you to meet me in heaven. Promise that you'll meet mummy there. Promise that we'll gather together at the river in the day of resurrection. I'm not here tonight to promote a church. Not here to preach up a denomination. We're certainly not here to entertain you. We're here to set before you Christ and the gospel. Because Christ is all you need. Christ plus nothing equals everything. And I ask you tonight again, have you repented of your sin? And have you believed the gospel and put your trust in Christ? Let me close with this story, true story. A sailor was in New York. It was a Sunday evening. And there was a Sunday night meeting with the sailor's mission. And he went into the meeting. He wasn't much interested, but he was there anyway in body. And somebody gave him a little card and he put it in his pocket and he took it with him back to the boat. And if he could take off his coat and get into his berth, he, he took out the little card and he looked at it and this is what the card said. If I die tonight, I go too. And there was a blank. And then there was another little line, please fill in your name and the blank and return. But he set the little card in the bunk and went on about his business. Some days later, he fell from the rigging of his ship and he broke his two legs. Horrible tragedy. Couldn't be a sailor on the boat anymore. He was confined to his bunk and it took him a long time to heal. And as he lay in his bunk, he, he saw the little card just in front of him. It was up on a little shelf. And he thought to himself, if I fill that card in, in honestly... If I die today, I go to hell. I'm not saved. I'm not a believer. I've never trusted Christ. But you know, that evening, he prayed. And he cried out, God, be merciful to me. this And he trusted Christ as his Lord and Savior. And he started living for Christ. And he started witnessing for Christ. Because remember, the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, is a new creature. All things have passed away and all things become new. And, and um, that uh, individual, he, he eventually got healed. And two years later, he was back in New York. He went into the little sailor's mission station there. And he spoke to one of the guys in the church and said he would like to speak to the, the pastor. And he gave the pastor back the little card. And this is what the card said. If I die today, I go to heaven. And he had signed his name. And he says, I want you to know that I got this little card here two years ago. And he told him the circumstances by which he had come to Christ. Now, if I was to give out such a card tonight in this church, and it read, if I die tonight, I go to, and there's a blank, and I urge you to fill it in. What would you put? Have you a desire for heaven? Have you made a decision for heaven? Because you've trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, and the blood marks upon you, and you know that's the only ground that God will accept you in heaven? Have you a delight for heaven? You know, that's important. Here's the Lord Jesus. And he wants to comfort his people. And one of the ways I can comfort you tonight is to encourage you to have a little vision of heaven. What's it like? Well, it's a real place. 
Where is it located? Oh, it's in the third heaven. Way beyond the atmosphere. That's where God dwells. And it's a majestic place because it's a holy city full of mansions for God's people. And it's eternal. And it's never subject to change. Is that not encouragement? In my Father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Where's Christ tonight? He's in heaven. And where's the people of God bound for? Heaven. And it may be at the portal of death. It may be in a second advent, which could happen at any time. And I trust and pray tonight, you'll think of that little card. If I die tonight, I go too. You can fill it in with certainty and assurance. May the Lord bless you. Thanks for coming. Thanks for listening tonight. And I pray that God will bless his word.